Hello, beautiful. This is Reverend Jennifer Hadley, and the recording you're about to listen to is part of the Living a Course in Miracles teleclass. Our intention in offering this class is to give you clear tools and practices that you can use to align with love every day in every area of your life. No one can do your healing for you. You must decide to choose love in every moment to the very best of your ability. Remember, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. Intend to live a miraculous life of love and share the benefits of your healing and your expansion with everyone because you're one with them. Please pause the recording before the class starts and write down your intention in listening to the class. Partner up with your own higher Holy Spirit self. And please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the class. So I'm going to invite everyone to take a breath, and I'm going to start us off with a blessing, as I always do, and invite everyone to center in and tune in, and I like to place my hand on my heart and remember that uh, the kingdom is within, and that literally just placing our hand on our heart and taking deep breaths, it profoundly opens us to be in that divine connection and assist us in recalibrating and healing because we're choosing to remember our true identity, that we are the perfect givers and receivers of love. Love is our true nature, our true identity. So we're consciously in this moment forgetting any false idea that we've carried around about ourselves and we're partnering up with the higher Holy Spirit self. And we're remembering not just our divinity, but the divinity of all life, that we are one. And this is our healing right now. We're opening our hearts and minds to receive the maximum level of healing. We're opening our hearts and minds to this refreshment of the spirit. We're making ourselves available to share, share the benefits of our healing and our awakening awareness with everyone because we're one with them. So grateful and so thankful to join together in this way now. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Ah. And taking this breath, again, of gratitude and love and welcoming David Hoffmeister. Thank you so much. It's just always such a joy to do this. And actually another extra treat for you to be here and be able to do this live in person. So those who are going to be listening to the recording later and didn't hear our little intro, I'm at David's house in Utah. And we've been enjoying the Miracles Monastery and the center here. And it's just wonderful, and I'm encouraging everyone to make a plan to come visit and to do retreats with David. And today our topic is spiritual practice, that it's 1% principle and 99% practice. I love this topic. So let's just begin with defining our terms. When we say spiritual practice, David, what do you mean? Well, it's actually an active process that we're uh, invoking the spirit, calling upon the spirit to join us in a way of training our mind or training consciousness so that it can reach higher and higher states and ultimately to a state of uh, complete forgiveness and complete transfer of training of all the, the lessons that we've practiced so that we come to fruition of our natural state of of mind. So it can involve form, uh, spiritual practice, because the mind that's fallen asleep believes in form, then the spirit needs to use those forms in a way that that can involve uh, repetition uh, and strengthening 
the ideas in the mind and also transfers to all of our perceptions of ourselves and everyone and basically the whole whole world and the whole cosmos. So it's quite a an all encompassing term, but that's that's really the gist of it as far as what it means to me. So some people think that spiritual practice is a portion of their day and that they have a limited idea of their practice. And uh, I find that, that that that's really debilitating for people because if you think, well, my spiritual practice is this 30 minutes before I leave the house in the morning, then you're really saying the rest of the day I'm, I'm dedicating to something else. And we can, just by shifting our minds, say, oh, my whole life is my spiritual practice. Yeah. And then use everything, as you call it, for mind training. Yeah. I think that's absolutely essential because we have to remember that the whole goal of the spiritual practice is to loosen the, the misidentification with the body or with the doer and open to this heart-centered state of being and this presence. And once we remember that, we realize that the ego will defend against that actual experience by trying to compartmentalize and categorize and organize and and even ritualize uh, the journey, try to turn the practice into just a doing that starts and stops at various segments of the day, and then you're off into a, another category, you know, called work or called eating or called exercising or whatever. And uh, then it, you can see the spiritual practice is re- relegated to a very tiny proportion of the day. And uh, it's no wonder that people find it it's very slow and mm. and uh, tedious and uh, that they're not making a lot of progress when that kind of ego defense kicks in. So as you're talking, I'm remembering myself and before I made 100% full-on total dedication, uh, I I did want to compartmentalize because I really I thought there was value in giving myself permission to be unspiritual if I felt like it. And so I liked the idea. I didn't even realize what I was doing, but now looking back, I can see I like the idea of compartmentalizing my spiritual practice because in the rest of the day, I could misalign or disalign with the divine and be judgmental, live in lack and attack thoughts, and uh, blame others for my limitations. And there was something that I really valued about that. It was, you know, perpetuating Mm -hmm. separation. And then I got to a point where I realized, oh, this is the source of all my suffering, this desire to compartmentalize. And so I said, forget it. Now I'm, my spiritual practice is all that I am. It is my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's good that you bring that up, though, because because the spirit knows how much fear the mind has when it's asleep, and the spirit knows how resistant the mind is to awakening. So just like we could say that... Uh, manifesting is kind of a a step along the way on the spiritual journey. Uh, We could say that that even giving yourself some time during the day to read spiritual texts or scriptures or like A Course in Miracles, um, you know, or maybe to go to a study group or things like that, that can be an initial good step when you haven't, let's say, really given any time out of the 24 hours a day to the spiritual practice. And so it's just kind of getting your toes wet. And and in one sense, that can be a very helpful step just to be able to open the book and be able to talk about these things openly, even with a couple trusted friends or to go to a study group. So I never discount even the smallest incremental little steps. But like you say, at some point, then you go, hmm, wow, I'm compartmentalizing my spiritual practice and uh, I think I can open it up a little bit and uh, maybe jump in the pool instead of just uh, putting my toes in. And then the benefits, you know, of course we reap the benefits when that happens. So if God is all there is, why would I want to exclude God or the divine from some aspect of my life? 
when I know truly if I invite the divine into every part of my life, I will have an easier time of it. Yeah. But I think that part of why we don't do that is because we may be called upon to do something that seems uh, crazy-making or fearful. I remember interviewing Regina Dawn Akers on my radio show, and um, people can listen to that at unity.fm or at iTunes. Just search for me. And uh, she was saying that the Holy Spirit said, quit your job and move to uh, Colorado. And it, it took her a year to finally uh, be able to follow that. And she would get so paralyzed with fear, she would take to the bed, you know, and just get under the covers. Mm. And she said she did that maybe 20 times. That's how afraid. Mm. But she ultimately said, I need to follow this guidance that I'm going to, even though I have no idea what's on the other end. And, of course, ultimately... It, was the happiest making thing in the world yeah. for her. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. I think most people do encounter resistance and fear when they open up to the spirit. And I think the most important thing I always tell people when they're encountering this is be very gentle with yourself. And if you have to repeat that over and over, please do. I'm going to be gentle with myself. And the reasoning behind that is that Really, the worst thing that you can get into at the beginning of your spiritual practice is falling into a sense of coercion, where it's you, you believe somehow that, that God or the Spirit is coercing you to do the practice. And then you, the resistance will grow stronger, and you probably will end up falling away from it, just like people fall away from diets or exercise routines when they feel fed up or it's not working and so on and so forth. In the spiritual practice, the ego will try to sponsor a sense of coercion. And that's why it's so important to be gentle to, okay, say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go swim or I'm going to read something else. I'm going to read a magazine or I'm going to take a walk or do this or that, not feeling that you're pressured or somehow coerced into mm -hmm. the practice. Mm -hmm. It's important to remind yourself, I want this. Mm -hmm. This is, going to bring me value mm -hmm. in truly uh, a peaceful mind, you know, that is, is not a small gift. You know, a tranquil, quiet mind is not a small gift, and it's worth the reward of the practice. And so I think for me that was very important that I never really pushed it, you know, with a hard edge because I, I was told in the course that uh, you didn't want to fall into a feeling of coercion because that would work against the whole practice and could sabotage the practice. So that stuck in my mind, and I, I really passed that along to everyone that I, I meet that really asked me about that. That's so valuable because, as we were talking about the other day, you were talking about it, resistance and reluctance are going to come up. And many people, when that resistance and reluctance come up, they misinterpret it. And they follow the resistance and the reluctance, and uh, they they make a negative meaning of it. I loved what you shared the other day. I wonder if you would, when people are resisting or having reluctance to do their spiritual practice. So in other words, just to define it a little more clearly, people have a clear understanding. If I meditate, that will help my spiritual awakening. If I study the Course and figure out how to apply it in my life, do the daily meditations, that will help my spiritual awakening. If I perhaps even do some journaling or um, go to Course meetings or have conversations with friends about spiritual practice, that will help me awaken. And they resist doing the very things that they know so clearly will bring them the results they want. And then they feel guilty and ashamed of their resistance and reluctance, and they will hide that from their friends. And so how can we reframe the resistance and reluctance? Okay, well, that's good because the ego will attempt to use the resistance and reluctance, you know, as a way to encourage the mind to conclude something about identity. Uh, with a, a line like, I'm not getting it, I, my, my progress is too slow, look how resistant, resistant I am, 
I'm never going to get it. You see, it's, it's taking that I statement and bringing it into a very negative result. And the ego wants the mind to draw a conclusion about identity that's little, that's weak, that's powerless, that's helpless. That's what it's aiming for, to keep the mind a slave, you know, to the ego and never thinking that it actually can rise up uh, to know its true identity. Now, the flip side of that would be what I call the Jesus's positive interpretation of resistance, which is what I was sharing the other day, which I thought was just amazing. I said I've never heard a therapist or anyone ever talk about resistance in a positive light through a positive definition. And the way it goes from the, the, I believe it's the psychotherapy pamphlet, is that resistance is the ego's interpretation of progress and growth, meaning the progress and growth are occurring. And it's wonderful. We are waking up. It's a glorious, exciting thing. And the ego is interpreting this progress and growth in a very, very negative way because it's afraid of getting undone. Mm -hmm. So actually, uh, underneath the resistance is a very beautiful, positive movement of stuff coming up for healing that needs to come up for healing, that we're actually calling <laughs> to come up for healing, and the ego is saying, interpreting bad, wrong, look at you now, you know, it's worse than ever, and it's always trying to bring us down you know, and get locked into a, a false perception of ourself and a false conclusion. And for me, I know in my personal experience, one of the primary ways that I would experience that evidence of the resistance and reluctance, if you will, was in the impulse to self-sabotage, in the impulse to self-medicate, which, of course, is a form of self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. So when... When I, I've come to recognize if I feel that, then I know what it really is, is I'm trying to slow down the spiritual growth. I'm aligning with the ego. The ego is saying, oh, you got to slow this down here. You don't know what, what you're doing. You're going to bring on something where you might, you know, have to change your whole life. And, and that's not a good thing. We need, you know, uh, it's, so I'll just pause on that and say, well, what do you think about that, the self-sabotage and self-medication as evidence of resistance and reluctance? Yeah. Yeah, the ego is always trying to sponsor a feeling of, of doubt. I mean, doubt is like a little crack that will crack that will lead to shame and pain and and this deep feeling of unworthiness, you know, which is kind of the root of the ego. And the ego is like saying, see, told you so. Take a look. Ah, there's the evidence. And it's like a, a closed system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a there's there's no opening. You need mm -hmm. a, a miraculous divine intervention, really, to, to break through that kind of closed, circular way of thinking. It's very negative and very dark. So that's what I would call self-sabotage. And then... We want to know thyself, capital self, and it's going to take miracles. It's going to take rays of light that uh, that penetrate through that circular system of darkness and and show us that there's another way. And that that was how the course started was was Helen and Bill coming together and and uh, basically Bill giving telling his uh, his employee actually he was the head of the department telling Helen. Uh, you know, there there really has to be another way of living, and and he wasn't expecting her response, which was uncharacteristic of her. It's like you're right, Bill, and I'll help you find it, and that's what preceded the the psychic dreams and color and and the voice saying, "This is a course in miracles. Please take notes." It was that little crack in the closed system of darkness that said there must be another way and a joining. You're right, and I'll help you find it let's find it together that opened up the whole uh, pathway that we call a course of miracles so if people are feeling mired in that darkness if they can find within their their themselves that mustard seed of willingness to i i call it partner up with the higher holy spirit so to to not go it alone yeah yeah that's it that's that's an essential beginning of 
I would say, the authentic spiritual journey. And even though it's just the beginning and there's a long way to go with it, that's essential because until there's this inkling that there can be another way and, and that there is a help that's available, or there is a higher power, call it whatever you want, then then the mind stays in this circular, in, in the 12 steps they call it the stinking thinking. It's just a, a circular stinking thinking loop. And at some point there has to be a ray of light that comes in there and goes, mm, I need help sincerely. Yeah. And there is help available and I'm going to avail myself of it. Yeah, we, we we must ask for help. You know, from I love what Jesus says about being the elder brother. You know, we, we ask the elder brother for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, it w- will never be denied. So why wouldn't we ask? And that for me was key to my own uh, deep transformation was I recognized that any time I felt the slightest irritation, frustration, disturbance, what I call the divine alarm clock going off, reminding me I've disconnected from the, the, the divine. I've disconnected mentally. I've decided to go it alone. And so all I have to do is join together again and go back and say, Holy Spirit, please help me see this differently. Holy Spirit, uh, assist me. And instantaneously we will feel that refreshment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... Once you kind of get that spark and, and you have that opening, then if we talk about it in Course in Miracle terms or in general spiritual terms, that that this is a world of learning. In fact, Jesus tells us that this whole world was learned, and he says you never pause to stop for an instant and ponder what it is that you were learning and why you were doing all this learning. And so because human beings are are always into learning, whether we're talking about children or young adults or, or adults, uh, it seems like the spiritual journey and the spiritual practice is p- perceived through that learning filter. And it can take people days, months, weeks, or years, or even decades before this next big leap on the spiritual practice comes in that actually this experience that you're going for you're not going to learn it in a book. Even the most inspired book, uh, like A Course in Miracles, which is very inspiring and extremely helpful, I know people will spend decades in study groups, studying it, doing lessons over and over and over. And there was a show, I think, on HBO called Arrested Development. (laughs) And as long as you think that you're going to go to so many seminars, workshops, conferences, and you're going to accumulate, oh, I've read it through, how many, how many, I've been in 20 years, oh, I've been in 23 years, I've been in 25 years. You know, it's it's not cumulative in the sense that if you read, if you have eyeballs moving across words for a cumulative amount, that suddenly God will say, yes, you crossed the threshold, You you hung with it and read it. For this many years, and I now pronounce you a scholar in the course, and you are enlightened. It's actually you have to cross a threshold where you start to go, my God, he calls it a course in miracles, and it's all about unlearning, and it's all about undoing the ego. And the whole process is really, I could summarize it and say, it's unlearning or undoing the getting mechanism of the ego. That that the ego is all about getting and get get all that you can and get while the getting is good and all this stuff, get as much as you can. And whether we're talking about accumulated knowledge, book learning knowledge and study, or intelligence as the world judges it, like in the Stanford Binet and the waste and all these things, or getting material objects, possessions, getting a partner, getting a house, getting children, getting all these things, then you get into the course and, you know, he's got a chapter six, the lessons in love, and then it's the lessons of the Holy Spirit. And there's only three, but you get a clue when you realize that the first lesson of the Holy Spirit, we're getting into principle now, that 1% principle we talked about, mm-hmm. but the first lesson of the Holy Spirit is to have give all to all. And if that isn't, the first step of a complete reversal of this 
ego getting mechanism. I don't know what is. That, right. I couldn't even imagine a more direct, simple lesson is to have give all to all. That just kind of sends you in the right direction of this divine principle that you want to actually experience as a living presence, mm -hmm. not as a word you learn mm -hmm. or as a concept that you learn, but actually that you open up and empty out to actually feel it. So we're talking about 1% principle. You know, that's a good way to, to start to really get a, an essence of what that, that principle really is, to have, give all to all, to have peace, teach peace, to learn it, and be vigilant only for God and his kingdom. Uh, that Those three lessons of the Holy Spirit really are really summarize this divine principle that we're talking about and all of our practice that we do and we're talking about mind practice reminding ourselves of these lessons and these states of mind throughout the day not just meditating for x amount of time or reading the book for x amount of time but but really putting that into practice as much as we can remember that that's going to be the essence of of undoing that getting mechanism. Well, you know, one of the things that even uh, it reminds me of, David, is many spiritual seekers are, uh, they're giving service in their spiritual community. They're giving service and they're doing it from a place of giving to get. And it's, it's that if you're reading the book in order to get something in, in a very real way, you're not recognizing that you already have it. Yeah. It's already pre-installed. So spiritual practice is not about trying to get something, like you're not trying to get peace. Because if you think you're trying to get peace, then you're actually affirming that you don't already have it. You don't already have access. Yeah. So spiritual practice is really about practicing the presence. It's about practicing the connection. And, and that can be done uh, while you're standing in line at Starbucks. You know, just holding a blessing, a, a beautiful thought for each person there, not trying to get anything from them, not, you know, because people will do spiritual practice in order to get stuff. And then if that's the approach, then the stuff is king in their world. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's so important to realize that that's, that's what it's about, is undoing the getting motive. And then you start to see that, you have to have some clarity about this because even the first principle, the first lesson of the Holy Spirit to have give all to all, you know, immediately the questions can come from the ego. Like that's absolutely ridiculous. How much, what are you supposed to do? Empty out your wallet every time you walk out of your house and you go anywhere and anybody ask you for anything, just materially give everything, you know, Oh, help me do lift this sofa. Help me do this. Help me do that and just giving all your money away, it's really talking about your state of mind. It's talking about the Beatitudes, to have, give all to all. And that's so important to undo the getting mechanism. And then to have peace, peace, teach peace to learn it, that in this world we are so accustomed to ego goals, and they're all tied into that getting mechanism, you know, getting ahead, get, having career advancements, having more pay, more possessions, having a, a partner, a better partner, an even better partner. You know, it's almost like trading up, you know, this whole thing. Everything seems to be about getting ahead or getting more. And now we even have the, the bear commercials, you know, more is less and less is more, you know, kind of pointing to maybe more isn't everything that it's all cranked up to be, even though to question that in this world seems absolutely insane. It seems like Everyone is aiming for more, more of something. Yeah. Jesus says that in the Beyond All Idol section. You know, what is an idol? Do you think you know? An idol is for more of something. It does not matter more of what. So there's our core of the getting mechanism. But we're used to self-concept goals, and now the Course is giving us a peace of mind goal. And he's not only giving it to us, he's saying, you know, to have peace, teach peace, to learn it. That when we go to the grocery store, we may think we want to get the best prices, the best sale items, and get out of that store <laughs> as fast as possible so I can have more time for 
leisure and things that I really want to do except for grocery shopping. And we missed the whole lesson. We're going to be zooming through there with the blinders on, zooming past all our brothers and sisters, griping and grumbling when the line next to the line that we're in is moving a little faster and impatient with the cashier, all because we're trying to get out of there with the best, cheapest items in the shortest possible time. Mm -hmm. And why would we do that except a self-concept goal of thinking we can control time and there's only a limited amount that we better get through and get while they're getting good and get on to the next thing. And you can see once you shift into this mode of working with the Holy Spirit, you have these wonderful encounters. You're laughing and smiling at people at the grocery store. You're so gentle and patient and kind, offering a kind word, even if the cashier seems to be stumbling over something or or feeling all stressed out. You are the bringer of peace. And the cashier smiles yeah. at you and goes, thank you. Yeah. Like almost a relief that you're a reminder that there's another way. Yeah. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's real that's the living practice right there. So our spiritual practice is to be on the lookout for where if there's a sense of disharmony or discord uh that we can say, "Oh, okay, I I'll I'll be the the living representation of peace, of harmony, of joy." And we don't have to know how ahead of time. Our little willingness is all that's required. Yeah, that's it. And, and with that little willingness and with practice, that little willingness, as we talked about this morning with on Lisa's show, you yeah. were talking about it grows into abundant willingness. But it has to start somewhere. And and really, the, you can see how it's a beautiful design in this whole principle and plan because the, the bottom line for the ego is, is – you are what you get. Uh, whatever you have gotten in life, you know, like the bumper sticker, whoever dies with the most toys Win. uh, wins the game. You know, that's a great uh, outcome of this. Uh, what I have is what I get. And so if I get an education, I have an education. If I get a partner or a spouse, I now have a partner or a spouse. If I get a house, I have a house. You can see that... These lessons of the Holy Spirit are undoing this belief that what I have is what I get. And he even mentions that in the third lesson of the Holy Spirit, be vigilant only for God and his kingdom, is once you start to value the kingdom of heaven, which will say translates to your peace of mind, mm -hmm. what the kingdom of heaven is, mm -hmm. then you, you practice in every circumstance, in every situation, in every instant, you now are so focused that you're getting close to the top of the mountain. You're getting close to the peak, and you want to experience that peak. Mm -hmm. And so you give yourself over to that practice in, in everything. And what is the peak, finally? It's not that what I have is what I get. It's actually what I have is what I am. That having and being are finally associated as being the same thing and synonymous at the top of the spiritual mountain. And, and you know, Popeye said that, I am that I am and that's all that I am. People resonate with, with that feeling, like, oh, wow, that sounds great. No pressure to get anywhere, no pressure to accumulate, no pressure to achieve, to strive, all those things. There's no challenge when the final lesson comes fully into awareness that what I have is what I am. Having and being are the same. So that is the ultimate experience of where all this is leading. And when you come into that experience, then you are sourced. You are consciously sourced. And everything that you seem to use in this world, receive in this world, you know comes from God, from the Spirit. It's just the Spirit's use of the symbol. You're not relying on people. You're not dependent on people on governments, on on even planetary conditions, uh, you know, none of that will in the end make a difference when you see that what I have is, is who I am or what I am. Mm -hmm. So 
that's very high. I mean, that's, you know, at the beginning, you don't, you don't have that in mind. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just facing your expectations and your struggles and your doubts, and you don't fully realize that that's just from the unconscious mind floating up to the surface and playing out as a motion picture as your daily life. You know, you, you just take your workbook lessons in the course and you just, as best as you can, you, you carry those ideas, let the emotions up and then let them go to the Holy Spirit as, as the practice. Two of my favorite affirmations, if you will, are I am that I am. That this, uh, this always takes me back. I am that I am. I am the perfection and the wholeness. I know, I can know it now. I don't, and it's not something in the future. It's now. It's not, I'm learning that I am. No, I am that I am. And then the other one is the seek first the kingdom. Where is the kingdom? It's within. And then all else will be added unto me. So to me, seek first the kingdom and all else will be added unto me. Like what part of that is unclear? What part of that is vague? Like what part of that don't people understand? Instead, they're laboring in vain. And what they could do is make their whole life their spiritual practice and experience the discovery of the kingdom and everything else being added unto them. You and I are living uh, evidence of the deeper our practice becomes, the more it's 24-7 without exception, the more whatever it is we think we might need in a moment, it somehow is provided or we don't actually need it and we, we recognize that. So there's not a sense of lack or limitation. Everything is perfect. Yeah. And uh, it's for many people that seems uh, impossible to achieve. It seems unreal. But I think it's really important that we talk about our literal experience of that day to day. Yeah. I think if we're called to be, you know, meek, as Jesus called it in the New Testament, or defenseless, like he says in the Course, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. As we watch, look into the eyes of rabbits at the monastery or little chipmunk or deer or goats or cows, you know, and we have this peaceful gaze, there's a sense of harmony that comes from a sense of defenselessness. We're not defending anything and neither are we having a thought of attacking anything. Yeah. You know, that it's so important that we... We do allow the unconscious to come up for healing release, uh, like as profound as those course workbook lessons are. And we, you know, nothing I see means anything. I've given everything. I see all the meaning it has for me and so on and so forth. And when you get to lesson 23 already, 23 in the book, in the workbook, gives you the, the escape hatch. I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. So we do have to let them come up and we have to let them go. And then we start to realize that whenever I'm having attack thoughts and they keep coming and coming and coming, what's the root? Mm -hmm. Where are they coming from? Well, they're coming from the ego and the self-concept. So as long as I value the things of the world, I'm not going to be detached from time. I'm not going to be detached from outcome. I'm not going to have no expectations as long as I value the idols and the images and the pursuits of the ego, I'm going to have all those things. And it's just going to seem to recur over and over until I realize that the only way I can be truly defenseless is to have no identification with anything of this world. I have to be non-affiliated. I have to be empty and open like your prayer when you said, take it all. Yeah. Take my life. Really, God. Take it all. I don't care if I if it's just a blaze of light and, and I disappear as I've known myself. I mean it. Yes. Take it all. And to me, that's, that's again, the prayer of the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, is God knows the prayer of the heart before a word is spoken. When that's truly our desire, you mm-hmm. will actually actively enjoy the dismantling. Yes. Enjoy the undoing. Yes. You know, it's like, okay, bring it on. This is wonderful. Thank you, God. Yes what I want. Yes, it's so true because that dismantling can then bring forth that which is truly a value and you can finally see it. You know, you can finally see the forest yeah. and not be caught up in the trees 
And that's why I love that trust section in the manual for teachers, because it really lets us know if you're praying to be free and you're clinging to the things that uh, inhibit your experience of freedom, the 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 prayer is going to be answered. Those, those things are going to start to be difficult to hold on to because your answered prayer is in letting them go or holding them differently. Yeah. And if you're not willing to hold them differently, then maybe, and that's the thing is people discover, oh, I thought that job was everything. And now I realize, no, that job's not my identity. I am not that job. Yeah. How could I be a job? A job is nothing. It's it's activity. Yeah. Yeah, just another concept that that can be used by the spirit for a moment and then to be transcended and let go. Like you were mentioning with Regina Don Akers, the terror around leaving a job and moving to what, to where, well, spirit's like, Oh, it's so glorious. You're not going to, you won't believe how glorious it is when you do it. And then, you know, you, you start to sing a new song, you know, like instead of waking up and, and plodding out of, bed you know in the morning you you don't sing a funeral dirge every day <laughs> and you're not singing tgif thank god it's friday you're not waiting for friday you're you're living in the moment because it's so wonderful i think about uh some of these great broadway plays i know how much you like shakespeare and theater and uh i think about funny girl and fanny bryce and barbara streisand you know I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. I got the sun, I got the moon, I got the deep blue sea. Then it goes on, folks with plenty of plenty, they got a lock on their door. Afraid somebody's going to rob them now that they're making more. What for? I got a lock on my door, that's the way to be. They could steal the rug from my floor. That's okay with me, because the things that I prize, like the stars in the skies, they're all free. I mean, you you can't but be joyful. Imagine jumping out of bed every day with that song in your mind, you know, where you're actually celebrating that you've got plenty of nothing, because what you have is what you are. You are the living Christ. You are the living Buddha, the living Krishna. You are the living one. And just to hold that in mind, you could just go singing along in your day, radiating that presence and really not having a care or concern for getting, making, you know, accumulating, achieving. And yet that seems so antithetical to the way that that the world operates, operates, you know, some people will say, that's, that's just not the American dream. And I said, I'm, I'm interested in knowing that I'm the dreamer of the dream, <laughs> not, not having the American dream of accumulating. And it seems to stand out. But then again, that's what we're to be the light of the world yes. to show that there's a new way. All right. So let me ask you for someone who is hearing us right now. And what you're talking about seems as far away from them as uh, front row tickets to a Barbara Streisand concert, yeah. let's say. And it just seems, it seems like a cartoon. It seems so far away from where they are because they're thinking, I, I can't pay my rent or my teeth are falling out and I don't have the money to go to the dentist or my son is a crack addict or my husband is, uh, he left me. I don't even know where he went or whatever. You know, they're dealing with major, major life issues. So they're thinking, I don't have time for a spiritual I don't have time. What would you say to that? Well, I would say that that some people know that acronym, fear, false evidence appearing real, that the first point is not to deny what your body's eyes are showing you and your body's ears are showing you. You know, in the Course, Jesus is so practical. He says, he says to deny the body, we could say to deny the body and the, and the world that surrounds the body is the inappropriate use of denial. What's the appropriate use of denial if that's the inappropriate use? He says, deny the belief that error can hurt you. So, okay. Okay, I perceive my teeth are falling out. I perceive I've got a, a, a sibling or a parent on, on crack that's addicted. I perceive that I've just lost my job and the mortgage payments due 
and it's not looking good. It takes a faith to say, okay, this is the way that it seems, and I'm not going to deny what seems to be my reality. What I'm going to do is have a crack of openness and willingness to just begin to question my perceptions. And why would I want to question my perceptions? You know, in the Matrix, the Agent Smith says, you know, they, we accept the world that is presented to us. You know, the, he's the ego character, and, and it's like, yeah, if you just accept the world that's presented to your five senses without questioning it, it's pretty easy to say, hmm, I think I'm a victim of the world. Uh, look what happened to me. My teeth are falling out. My, my partner's addicted to crack. I've lost my job. I can't pay the mortgage. But But you can't stop there. It has to be willingness to say, hmm, maybe, just maybe, I have a perceptual problem. Maybe, just maybe, there is another way of looking at the world. And maybe it still seems far off, but mm -hmm. am I willing to even move in the direction mm -hmm. of that new way of seeing? You know, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if I just had a crack of willingness and openness? So it's not trying to deny what seems to be there, but it's just saying, Maybe I can go deeper. And then I will talk to people and I'll say, well, you know, what if you're psychotic, you're schizophrenic, and you're hallucinating? They say, what do you mean? And I say, well, these are not, I'm not talking about people who are locked up in the insane asylum. I'm talking about, again, psychotic means a break from reality. Maybe, you know, the world I'm perceiving in this, through this fragmented lens actually isn't reality. You know, people are worried about burning in hell. Sometimes they say, I did this when I was five years old, and this when I was 10, and this when I was 20. I'm going to burn in hell. I said, listen, this perceptual world of fragmentation is, is hell. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about burning in the afterlife. It, you know, I tell Check them, it doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> this perceptual world is hell. It's a psychotic break from reality. It's schizophrenic. We're listening to multiple voices in our mind, not one voice like Jesus told us to do. And, you know, we're hallucinating because we're we're seeing a bunch of images. And we weren't really created to be an image maker. You know, we were created to be right. a divine being. So I give them that context. And then it's more like a presence. Like we connect spiritually. And I've seen people who have risen off of their deathbed who have had a miraculous change in an instant where the symptoms have vanished in a miraculous instant. And through the power of our joining, through me not agreeing with the sickness right. or agreeing with the problem or even agreeing with the wanting, right. like you talked about even working with your staff, like, whoa, yeah. whoa, we're not, we're not trying to encourage wanting here. <laughs> we're encouraging acceptance of all that is. And so it is, you know, that's, you probably have said that prayer yes. a hundred thousand a times, million times, billion yes. times, because it's, tr it's really true in yes. your heart because you really are extending that as a real, a real thing. Mm -hmm. So and, and what I'm hearing you say too is, and I, I share this all the time because it's been such a profound awareness for me. If you study even the words of Jesus in the New Testament, you study the, the stories of healing, he had all those experiences of healing. And I think part of the reason for the healing is also it draws people's attention. If you live in a, a time where there, you know, medicine is, um, well, pluck it out, you know, or just, uh, put leeches on it or, well, let's bleed some of that bad blood out of there or just, you mm -hmm. know, um, lock them in a cave for three days or, you know, uh, then and along comes someone who says, let's join together and your your faith will make you whole. You know, because Jesus always said in these miraculous experiences, when people said to him, thank you, Jesus, for my yeah. healing, he never said, oh, you're welcome. I was happy to do that for yeah. you. Yeah. He always says what? Yeah, it's by your, your faith, faith. Yeah. you're made whole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what you're talking about is people coming to you and they say, I have these big problems. Michael Beckwith says, instead of telling God about your big problem, tell your big problem about God, your big yeah. God you know, which is your faith in the invisible. Instead of 
thinking that your problem needs to be fixed, maybe that problem is your answer prayer. Yeah. And your willingness to say, oh, I can't make my mortgage this month. Well, maybe the best thing in the world that could happen to me is to move out of this house. Maybe that's the indication I need to get still and try to listen and get some guidance. Maybe I am not this house. Maybe yeah. I am not this stuff. And maybe if my neighbors think, oh, look at Jennifer down the road. She went bankrupt and they took her house away from her. And they might be judging me. But if they see that I, I let it go because I knew something greater was coming forward, then they might they might become interested. Well, let's see what happens to her next. You know, and then they see, you know, I'm singing a happier song. And, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not condoning, of course, defaulting on mortgages. I don't think defaulting on mortgages is good or bad. It's neither. How could it be either one? It's just, it's it's something that happens. It's what you make of it that makes it a spiritual experience or an egoic experience. Yeah. You know, it's either your healing or it's more pressure for your healing. Yeah. You know, it's the, Michael Beckwith also says, the pain pushes until the vision pulls. And I say the pain is always pushing and the vision is always pulling. And you can just decide what, what do you prefer? Yeah. What, what is the thing that you're most interested in? And so, uh, I, now I, we're, we've got about 10 minutes left here. So I want to ask you, David, what is the spiritual practice that you would give to somebody? Let's say they're, they're, their fear is really intense. Mm-hmm. And they're having a little meltdown. And what is the spiritual practice that you would recommend to help them quickly shift and move out of that and back into divine alignment? Yeah, well, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is in terms of practicality is the section in the, in the back of the text of the Course in Miracles called the Rules for Decision. So basically, you know, he's saying, you know, you know, decide the kind of day that you want and then save yourself, which is number two. If I make no decisions by myself, this is the day that will be given me. Then three, four, five, six, seven are are your remedy back. But he does even give us a pointer and say it's easier if you stay with the first two and you don't let your mind drift off into the problem. What you're describing is, is a crisis. Right. And. And he does say in there that it's much more difficult to get back yeah. from that crisis misperception than it is to stay on the beam, yeah. gliding down the highway on, in truth. You know, it's much easier. So I would say that's an important little antidote. That's an important little note that goes with this. That, that And also, um, you know, part of those steps back that Jesus is describing in there is, you know, is coming to the point of starting to see that that maybe I don't really know everything that's that's tied in with this misperception. Um, perhaps I've been wrong about what I'm perceiving and feeling. And then what harm would it do to go along that line of thinking that perhaps I've been wrong and actually open up to here's the key in getting back the piece i hope i've been wrong <laughs> you see it's gone perhaps to i hope i've been wrong because why because i'm not happy and i hope i've been wrong about what i'm interpreting here and what i'm perceiving that crack that's that crack of willingness that will definitely get you back into the groove into the alignment with god so important but you see how humbling would you rather be right or happy you really meet that question in your mind, would I truly rather be right about this grievance, this misperception, this thing that I think I've been done wrong, that somebody done me wrong song, would I rather be right about that or am I be willing to be happy and to be shown the road back to happiness? So what that makes me think of is so many people get wrapped up in valuing their thoughts, their perceptions of things, their opinions and judgments of things. And so that, that thinking that they're right, they really, really value that, that, that they feel like that is my life raft. 
My judgments are what keep me afloat in this world. It's my protection from the world, my judgments. And so the the very idea of opening their mind to they might not uh, be right is very scary for a lot of people. And I I know for me, one of the biggest healings in my life was when I got to the point where I said to the higher self, the Holy Self, Holy Spirit, I, I, I don't want to think my thoughts anymore. I don't, I'm not interested in these thoughts anymore. Please help me rid my mind of them. I don't value them anymore. Help me wipe my mind clean of them. I only want to think the thoughts I think with God. And I mean it. I am there. I'm, I know that every thought that I am thinking on my own is hurting me, and I am tired of hurting myself with my thoughts. Yeah. It's, that's the turnaround right there. I mean, that's that's those kind of prayers where you feel like symbolically you're down on your knees, and, you know, it says God answers the prayer of the heart. Well, that's one of, of help. You yeah. know, what you're describing, that's a true prayer of help and then i think for another thing that you and i talk about is that that really ultimately that's the most important thing and it's the spiritual journey is not an intellectual process i mean it's it's interesting to remind yourself of that when you've got a book in front of you that's over 1200 pages long but helen shuckman did say ah at last the path for the intellectuals (laughs) it's like a a way of coming out of of all those words with beautiful shakespearean blank verse and it's spectacular, but it's a pathway for intellectuals. If you have the sincere devotion and the prayer of the heart and you really go with that and you really value that, you will save thousands and thousands of years. And I know people have asked me, you know, what's the key in your journey? And I said, well, yeah, I was, I was an intellectual, 10 years in university. I dove into the course. I read it, you know, eight hours a day for two and a half years. I actually memorized it, and I could go to course groups and quote verbatim with the first edition of page number and so forth. And then, even then, at being introduced at a course conference as a walking Course of Miracles encyclopedia by by John Monday, <laughs> uh, there's something that hit me there with that. I went, I don't want to be an encyclopedia. I just it, it takes Not you. My it hits you between the eyes, you know, encyclopedia. I want to be happy. I want to be joyful. Yeah. And some people have heard those interviews on the Internet that I did with David Paul and Candace Doyle, where I described, you know, from 1991 to 1996, living in Divine Providence, no house, no apartment, no tent, uh, going from house to house, day to day, place to place, for five years, between 91 and, and 96. That really developed my trust. And and for those that, that say, wow, I can't even imagine how I can go from intellectually grasping these ideas in some sense to actually living it, you know, I the Peace Pilgrim route, it, it was a good rotor-rooter for me. That really cleared away the doubt and got me really fully into this experience. And now, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, in this big house. We're at a 5,000-square-foot metaphysical center now. And before there wasn't even a tent. It was just <laughs> a bed, a closet to sleep on, a rug on the floor or whatever. I love it all. I'm grateful for it all. I've stayed in mansions and and hostels and pup tents and slept out, you know, under the stars and things. But but to tell you the truth, it was all for one lesson and that was a lesson in that same spark and faith and trust of I take these thoughts from me, Holy Spirit. That yeah. was what it was all about. Yeah, take it all. It's what I say is people circle back around all the time to, oh, I have to surrender again, you know, and they're feeling like, oh, the burden of surrender. Surrender is, is, you know, you can think of it as uh, giving up, you know, and yes, it is that. It's giving up. It's giving up your own opinions, your own judgments, your own way, or the way I think of it is I'm making an offering. Like in the Buddhist practice, you make an offering. I'm making a holy offering of my life. You know, do with me as you will. I am here to be your servant and to the glory of God. And 
you know, and it, even wiping away that desire to serve that the ego can come right in there oh, and like, yeah. ooh, look at me, I'm yeah, really yeah, serving. Yeah. Oh, I bring benefit to everybody yeah. with my life, my precious yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, it's sneaky. It'll <laughs> just slip right in there on that one. Yeah, so it's, to me, it's never not about surrender. Mm -hmm. Because what what you're surrendering is any sense of separation, so that all you have left is unity. So at the minute you can find a little sense of separation, oh, I'd like to be better than my neighbor. I'd like to have a nicer dog than my neighbor, or a nicer car, a nicer house, a nicer cubicle at work, you know, or a prettier dress, or what it, whatever it is that you'd like to have for yourself so that you can feel better. As soon as you can see, if you can say, oh, I'm going to surrender that attachment to that. I'm surrendering, surrendering. And do the happy dance. I can surrender everything that's torturing me, all my attachments, all the suffering, you know. Yeah. And uh, sing the, the song from, uh, what was Funny it? Funny Girl. Funny Girl, yeah. yeah. I've got plenty of nothing. Yeah, but because I've got everything. Yeah. Yeah. No thing, but no thing. everything, the whole yeah. universe. Exactly. And, and surrender is not loss, but surrender, surrender is release of illusion. So you can see that little tweak from all this stuff, surrendering, like you said the other day, surrendering at war means you're the loser. Yeah. And this is a thing. No, it means I'm releasing illusions. That's a happy dance. What If illusions are the only thing that's holding me back, I can surrender and release all the illusions. And, and that's just, again, a tweak of meaning. From the ego perspective to the Holy Spirit perspective. Yeah, that's that's true insight and genius. And the once you get the hang of it, you start to celebrate because it really does get easier and easier. Yeah. And where once like uh, uh, my friend Chris told me she was with Colin Tipping the other day, and it, he just realized he lost his laptop. Gone, gone. Laptop's gone. And he was like, well. So be it, you know, and she said, you know, this guy is really walking his talk because he just lost his laptop, you know. <laughs> she could relate to that, that very well. Yeah, and so it's like when something like that happens, you think, well, a holy purpose must be. So, okay, I get a new laptop, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. or you, you, you can learn to have that. That is your spiritual practice. It's a waking, living, breathing spiritual practice yeah. well as you and i both know we could go on and on and on and it's time for us to uh close out here so just before we do david please tell everyone how they can uh find you on the web and how they can find all the free recordings and and uh your youtube channel has 500 videos so your website yeah the livingmiraclescenter.org is, is the main website that you can get into the monastery, a lot of the Q&As and things. It's a good entry entry point. And then uh, just for a lot of the free stuff, acim.cc. Um, I've enjoyed some of these recent uh, talks I've done with you. I put it up on my Spreaker uh, account. So if, if people want to have free Internet MP3s to download, that's acim.me.me. It's easy to remember. Um, there's lots of audio files, there's lots of writing, lots of transcripts in maybe six different languages, you know, Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, you know, it goes across the board. It's, it's mainly, I've heard from the spirit, freely you have received, now freely give. And people do, like we talked about, like, like hard copy things, like they can order the CD yeah. if they want this mm -hmm. and listen to it for free for, to 48 hours and then order it. But the same with us, you know, if you like it in a book form, some people like to carry around a, a book in their purse or yeah. backpack, or they will, they like CDs, DVDs. They want that's something. How I am, yeah. yeah. They want it that's tangible in their hands. Mm -hmm. Then we do that as well. But for me, the, the essence is, is we're offering our insights because we're just giving to ourselves. Yeah. And I love that about you, that you, you're just so in that, vibe of extending and giving and collaborating and you know, it takes one to know one so we <laughs> recognize each other very very easily yeah if i didn't share i'd explode and i know the thing is the same is true for you it's uh, such a joy to be able to share particularly because it's been so hard won you know yeah. we we didn't just wake up and go oh all of a sudden i feel uh all this enlightenment and all this mm -hmm. awakening and everything is deep and beautiful no 
there's like moment by moment we offloaded negative thought by negative thought through our daily commitment to living spiritual practice 24 7. yeah that's what we did yeah so let us i'm going to invite you to join with me and just i'm inviting everyone to place their hand on their heart and take a breath of love and gratitude and it's like we're sealing it in and we're we're saying yes yes holy spirit for the love of god please take everything that no longer serves me help me to recognize that the kingdom is pre-installed our prayer is that we value that which has already been given, that we explore it, that we share it, and that we recognize that we already have it. And we do indeed enjoy every opportunity to share the benefits of our healing and our expansion, our spiritual practice with everyone because we are already one with them. In grace and gratitude, we accept our healing, we accept the expansion, we accept the clarity, we surrender that which no longer serves, and we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you, everybody. Thank you so much. And Enjoy the replays. Invite a friend to come and listen with you, and you can pause and listen again and again on those replays. This is Jennifer Hadley again. I invite you to remember that your dedication to your life of love is the best gift that you can share with the world. Love is the only healer, and it's always available to you for the asking. Remember, too, that you cannot have that which you're unwilling to share. Share the love today. Love out loud and know that all boats rise on this holy tide of love. Thank you for joining us. Please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day.